0: Hey, drama listeners we have a free opportunity for everyone who's listening right now yes you do not skip ahead Connor and I are so happy to be partnered with Broadway plus you know all about it it's the way you get exclusive up close and personal contact with your favorite Broadway stars creators creators guests of the podcast in a really unique way with virtual experiences like meet and greets workshops concerts so much more and there's tons of really cool events coming up this month in March there's going to be a Anastasia you know reunion Q&A a a Book of Mormon reunion Q&A and a Heather's concert and Q&A and drama listeners can get access to Plus Pass for one month free using the code Dramapod at BroadwayPlus.com slash Plus Pass I know I'm going to be there are you going to be there? Oh, you can count on me. It's going to be so good. Literally, more to come this spring, but you must, must, must become a member of Plus Pass. Drama. Drama. Hello, hello, hello. Dylan here to let you all know about our bonus content platform, Patreon. If you're not already subscribed, you're going to want to right now because we recorded an extra special rapid fire Q&A with Miss Jennifer Ashley Tepper that you do not want to miss. It's... Well, it's drama, y'all. For $5 a month, you get extra episodes every week as well. A backlog of special interviews and deep dives and access to our IG close friends. So head on over to patreon.com backslash the drama podcast and subscribe. All right. It's showtime press play curtain up an hour in it's time to take spin the shade and tea to spill Ooh, drama. oh that's a tweet did they book who got an on the option no i'm not well what star what will we, we talk to today? today oh that's a gag honey say no more drama drama, drama. welcome to drama a podcast about theater pop culture love and life in, in New, York New York City, City and, and the, the world. world. I'm Connor McDowell and I'm Dylan McDowell. Connor, do you feel the hope in the air? I feel it. I, I feel it's like at the end of In the Heights when Usnavi's like, hear that music in the air, take a train to the top of the world and I'm there, I'm home. It's kind of like that feeling of like, ah, there's a the light. You know what I mean? It helps that the that winter is breaking into spring. A spring awakening, some might say. The seasonal depression has been real. It always is, though. But like even more yeah. so in, in a pandemic time. But mm-hmm. Dylan, I'm feeling hopeful about literally everything coming up in the next few months. But there's something we haven't talked about on the podcast that mm-hmm. it, it needs our attention. Because, okay. you know, we introduced the podcast as covering theater, pop culture, love, and life. But it also should say and Taylor Swift's career. Very good. Because we 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 have not talked about Taylor's version of love story. And i know. literally fearless coming out in the month i know it is it is it is coming soon and i am very excited for fearless especially because of the bonus tracks that we're going to get some some updated versions of in particular on the other side of the door oh my god which invented her bridge moment it is an iconic well the bridge into outro it's so good yes i i'd say it's more of the outro her bridge is like some some artists just like do like two lines of the chorus like but Slowed down for the bridge, but Taylor creates sometimes even a new song in the bridge. She does. Well, she, in on 1989, she kind of just did like a repeat of some of the chorus, mm-hmm. but you're so mm-hmm. right. Oh my God. What Taylor's version bridges are you excited for, you know, from all the ones she'll be re-recording? Okay, I'm nervous for Red because that's like my favorite of her albums. I hold it to such high esteem. I know. I just think that it stands so perfectly as is, but I don't, it's not like she's going to suddenly turn them into like techno songs, you know? That is what I like. And I actually read something that like, everyone was expecting, oh my God, these are, this is Taylor's version. It's going to be like new versions of the songs. And she wanted to keep them mostly the same because it's her music. And this is is the Mm -hmm. song she wrote that she should have creative control and, you know, ownership of her masters over. So she's like, no, I'm going to record them as I'm, as I am now, but it's going to be the same songs you love. And I, I wasn't expecting that. And I love that even more. Like which album are you itching for a new version of honestly speak now? I'm like, I know one of my, in my top 10 favorite Taylor songs is last kiss. And I cannot wait to hear it. Mm. As a grown woman, both of us, Taylor and myself. honestly, yeah, I remember being in this house that we're still quarantining in a year later. Because we should also say it's been, you know, it's been a year now okay. since since we we fled in the dead of the night back to Ohio, and it's weird to be experiencing these songs with new perspective as well. I know. Oh my God, such a gag. Okay, so there's our guest also loves Taylor, and yes, and it's a new it's a new thing for her. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, this is yes. great. We've we've wanted we're not new per- anymore, but we've wanted this person since the inception of the pod. Yes. The listeners need to know that. She's also been integral in like our journeys in New York City. She helps has helped us book guests. She, in many ways, she's like the godmother of this podcast slash our journeys in New York because you know, she's an author. We'll talk all about it. I'll never forget it was the summer of twenty fifteen and we were student rushing something rotten and i was flipping through her first book and you know her there's a beautiful glossy image of her on the back and then that night at the stage door which i don't even think we got any autographs except for one and it was hers because it was a crazy stage door but i remember thinking oh my god that's that girl That is that girl. She is that girl. She is the Whitney Houston to our Brandy Cinderella. Like this is, I'm, I'm gagged. Dylan, please bring her in. I'm shaking. Okay. All right. Our guest today came to New York on a dream. She knew it might take her a while. An arbiter of Broadway theater, its history and cultivating its future. Our guest is a trailblazer. She is the producer of the musicals, Be More Chill, Broadway Bounty Hunter, and Love and Hate Nation. All of which are part of a decade long collaboration with Joe Iconis and family. She's worn many a hat does anyone still wear a hat? With her other Broadway credits, including Title of Show, The Performers, Godspell, Macbeth, and The Parisian Woman. She's also the creative and programming director at Feinstein's 54 Below, co-creator of the Bistro award-winning concert series celebrating underappreciated musicals called If It Only Even Runs a Minute, and is the conceiver and director of The Jonathan Larson Project, an acclaimed theater piece that shares the previously unheard songs by the late writer of Rent. She is the historian consultant on the upcoming Coming film version of Tick Tick Boom. And as a writer, she has authored the multi-volume book series, The Untold Stories of Broadway, including its brilliant fourth volume that is available now. She is a fashion icon, a mentor, and the reason why I got my start in New York City, please welcome to drama,
1: Jennifer Jennifer Ashley Ashley Tupper. You guys, oh my God, this is so crazy. That was the craziest intro I've ever gotten in my life. I miss you. And I like, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I could cry.
0: Oh my God, Jen. No, it's, it's crazy that it's been a year because I do feel like we've been in touch, you know,
1: of course. I also, you know, I remember so vividly meeting you guys at something rotten and what a special experience that was, but I forgot it was literally summer 2015, which is crazy. Cause that was the summer of be more chill starting. Like, so it was just like oh. a lot of magic in the air that summer. Yes.
0: <laughs> and you know, you know, what else I remember too, is I emailed you later that spring and sent you the picture. Cause I was like, I want to find my place in the city. And you, your first line was like, I knew that this picture would, would find its way back to me. Like something like that.
1: I did. I knew when I met you that like, it wasn't just that night we were going to know each other. Like I really felt that immediately.
0: Oh my God, Jen. I'm I'm shaking. That is so nice. (laughs) We obviously adore you in many ways. And it's so cool to be friends with someone who I truly look up to you. I mean, listening to your resume, like you have, you do it all.
1: Thank you. I was so honored by that intro. And like, I am such big fans of both of you and just like want us to be in New York City making theater again together. We
0: will. We will. Oh my God. We absolutely will. Okay. We have so much to discuss, but yes. Jen, I'm wondering are you well?
1: You know, today I'm having a great day today, and we can get into all things about that. But like, I'm feeling excited about people getting vaccines. I'm feeling excited about like the rent anniversary event was last night. It was so magical. A couple other things are going on. My book's coming out in a week. It it just feels like I have a lot of hope. So, like, the pandemic is a roller coaster. Certainly, I have been unwell. We've all been riding that roller coaster. But Mm -hmm. today, I am like really happy. Oh my I God. love it's it. It's infectious.
0: We feel it too. We ser- certainly do. Well, congrats on your new book. We are, of course, obsessed as we've loved each volume previously. And we were kind of telling you beforehand, we haven't finished it yet. I think I'm savoring it in many ways too, because each story is so special and each chapter is so special. But congrats on writing the entire thing and releasing it in quarantine.
1: Thank you. You know, it's been so crazy to write most of this volume during quarantine and to be like kept company by all of these theater stories while the theaters are empty, um, but I'm so beyond excited for people to finally read it because there's so many stories in it where I'm like, oh my God, I just want like this person to read this story, this person to read that. Um, it's got this story. The stories in this book are pretty magical.
0: Oh, my God. I have to say, too, the introduction is so fabulously done, Jen. I think the way that you were able to address, obviously, how much has changed changed in this year, especially in regards to the world, America, and the theater community taking a hard look at the way we interact with people and the way we address race, and the way you were able to verbalize all of that, put it on on the page and say, I'm going to be, you know sensitive and inclusive, but also give you the truth was, that's the way, the only way we move forward, honestly, with history, right? So shout out to you.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad that you responded to that part because, um, yeah, I really was, it was super interesting to kind of be like, okay, obviously it's a Broadway history book, but it's written through the lens of 2020, 2021. Um, And also I started doing these interviews in 2013. So it's kind of like a little time capsule of like the time the interview took place as well. Um, And there's so much that I was able to tackle in this book that just like reflects what is going on right now. Um, I was thinking this morning about like, there was a story that Terrence McNally told me about his Broadway debut with a show that was like super ahead of its time in terms of like LGBT plus issues which like obviously he changed the world with like what he ended up writing for the gay community and just thinking about like him telling me that story and then like losing like him to covid which is so like tragic and then just like the whole like bulk of his career celebrating it it's like the kind of like i don't know like repercussions is the wrong word the effects of the stories in this book like will hit me at random times like i'll just be walking down the street and be like oh my god like this story reminds me that like at that theater that like woman broke ground is like the first woman playwright in that theater. Like so much of the social and political and like all these issues that are going on right now are just like reverberating is the right word through this book.
0: Mm-hmm. That's funny. You mentioned the Terrence McNally bit there. I just read that part last night and Oh my God. And he even didn't he say go into someone's dressing room and say, Oh, Marlon Brando <laughs> this dressing room. And, and I thought to myself, and now like that story is out there and cuz he's not there to tell it to that person you know yeah. Granted, i don't think he I forget whose dressing room it was was it at the at the music box or the imperial or something no
1: i'm like trying to remember too i think it there are so many stories about marlon brando weirdly um yeah i don't remember but the other thing that like really struck me this morning was the fact that um he overheard two men at like the bar across the street like bad mouthing the show like his broadway debut and he was like those guys are jerks like i'll never work with them and it was candor and ebb it was like a very young canter and ebb and of course like they ended up becoming really close friends and collaborators and like laughing uh-huh. about that um and they had that flop, floor of the red menace going out at the same time i mean it's <laughs> Mm-hmm. The the book has so many like little moments that when you think about them, they get bigger in your head, I think, for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and the fact that there is that footnote of that Terrence McNally passed away then in that book. It's 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 you know, it's so weird how things just sort of rise to the zeitgeist in the moment of them. And and you have such a beautiful way of writing your personal experiences into the stories. I remember, I think it might've been volume two where you talked about um, everything that was happening at the Barrymore and how that was where Hit List was and across the street was when Hands on a Hardbody was. And, and I remember crying sometimes even more at your own personal stories than some of the things that were in there because it's like this new New York melded with the, all the history that led leads up to it. It's, it's, it's really an achievement, Jen.
1: Yeah, you know, it's something that I like love doing with these books is not having them be like pure history reference books, but having them be like gonzo journalism, um, like putting the writer in the story. And what's interesting is like with some of the books, like the first book is very much like title of show, which I, you know, worked on the second book. There's a lot of hit list. There's a lot of Godspell Um, in this book. There's not literally a show that I worked on in one of these theaters, but I really went on the journey with like Prince of Broadway and knowing how Prince and like that whole story is in the book. So it feels really personal in that chapter to have tackled that.
0: Oh my God. You know, I, we, we're going to save this for this, like a little rapid fire section that we're going to include mm-hmm. afterwards, but I'm just curious what, um, what theater do you resonate with the most?
1: It's a great question. It honestly changes by the day. Like that's not just me being like democratic and nice. It like really does change by the day. Um, but I have to say, like, I've just been thinking so much about studio 54 in the past couple of days. Um, that's in this upcoming book. And obviously it's very close to our hearts, all of us, because like mm-hmm. it's right next door to us at 54 below. Um, and and Studio 54, like I think people really don't know that it didn't have a hit Broadway show for 71 years, and it like survived in all these different ways. And it was even like it was this place called Casino de Paris during the Great Depression, where like it was a restaurant nightclub, like Astro 54, and like naked women danced in fish bowls, and like Benny Goodman played, and like, you know, Bill Bojangles Robinson performed. So there's all this like fascinating history there, in addition to the like legendary laser disco stories, which are very much covered in the book, and like the wild oh. tales of that. Um, But it also like it was home of the Federal Music Project, employing artists during the Great Depression, like so many interesting Studio 54 tidbits that have been resonating with me lately.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I think about walking into work every day and walking out the way that we I think you came the same way from 8th Avenue, we'd walk underneath the marquee. And just to stop and think about how people would line up outside of that, whether it be for a show or for a night at at the disco. you know, and all the celebs that came through. And this is a question that you might not get asked or might not want to answer, so you can always put it <laughs> out. Are there any theaters that you truly feel like the least connected to?
1: Do you know what's honestly true about that is yes. Like the answer of me being like, oh, like, you know, I don't have any super special feelings about The Ambassador. There's only been one show there in Chicago the whole time that I've been right. like seeing shows. Um, so I don't have a lot of memories there. And like, there's nothing particu- particularly special. Like, and then because of that you start like you know me with underappreciated musicals or songs or artists it's like because of that I'm like wait but like because it's not special that almost makes it exciting to discover even more so mm-hmm. and um honestly during the pandemic in addition to writing volume four I've started to edit the stories for the last two volumes and like the remaining theaters including the ambassador and when I started like editing them I was like oh there's all these reasons why like this theater is an undiscovered gem and like let's edit the stories about a class act there which I like love so the theaters that I like the least going into the book series, I've ended up like developing such a love for.
0: Oh my God, Jen, you literally Mm. have millions of stories that have been passed between you and other people. (laughs) It's like, honestly, such a gag. I remember reading your first book and being like, she talked to this person, like this person, it's crazy. Um, But I want to take it back to the beginning really quick before we dive into other experiences you've had. A question we ask all of our guests is about the ring of keys moment—that moment of recognition when they realized they wanted to be a part of the theater. Do you? Do you have a ring of keys moment, Jen?
1: I love this question. I love that you ask it that way too. Um, I have like a few, you know, of like those sparky moments in childhood where you realize it. But what that question made me think of is um, my first Broadway show that I ever saw, which was The Full Monty, which I saw from like the front row rush seats at the Eugene O'Neill Theater um, with my then nine-year-old sister. Who The Full Monty was quite a trip for her to see. Um, But it was like my first trip to New York, and obviously I was so obsessed with New York before I got there. But actually getting to see a show was so life changing. Like I remember everything, and I. Love that show and that score still. Um, But what's like really special that comes back to me a lot is like, you know, I've gotten to like work really closely for years with Annie Golden and like who's the most incredible, like incredible truly i was emailing her about an untold stories of broadway thing and she responded yes of course i'll do this jenna fierce because she like calls me jenna fierce the best nickname ever Um, (laughs) she responded right away and like emily skinner who was in that show has been like the most incredible and like generous and warm and when she plays 54 below with the great alice ripley it's like you know Mm -hmm. i got to write the liner notes for their album so like all these people that were in my first broadway show i've come like full circle with in this like incredible way i don't have a good patrick wilson story yet but It's just like, it blows my mind that that is the case and that people that I like looked up to so much, I've had those moments with.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. And, and you can like trace the, the lines like forward of like the way that you connect to everyone. Wasn't Andre De Shields in that original production as well?
1: Yes, um, Andre De Shields, so many people, John Ellison Conley, Jason Danielly who we love and who like is just mm-hmm. the most special, like truly I could go through the whole cast of Full Monty and be like, this person like did that. And this person's in my book and this person plays 54 Below. And like, it's just, I've been blessed by the original Full Monty gang, including David Yasbeck, including, you know, so many mm-hmm. people um, really special. Cast and crew. Oh, I love that.
0: What theater did you say that was at? That?
1: that was at the Eugene O'Neill, which, spoiler alert, that's going to be the last chapter in my last book because it was my first Broadway drama. theater that I saw my first
0: show. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's drama. <laughs> I love that. I we only have ever seen Spring Awakening there from the front row as well. So
1: Which also like again like I was editing future stories and the Jonathan Groff story that I have about Spring Awakening, I'm like whenever this is published, like it's going to be so good. Like the Spring Awakening stories are gag me for real. Oh
0: my gosh. Jen, we we are literally like Spring Awakening super fans. It it, it almost meant too much to me as a young person to really look at it with a critical eye, you know, 13 years later, but yeah. Uh, like I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Actually, I take that back. I did see the revival, the Michael Arden, you know, the beautiful revival. Yeah. But um, God, I cannot wait for that Spring Awakening chapter. I'm like shaking, thinking of it. Our goal is to have a Spring Awakening reunion podcast one day Ooh. and we don't know how it would work exactly, but we'll see, we'll see, you know.
1: It's gonna happen. I think it's gonna I
0: hope happen. so, oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> wait, I'm curious about how you go about choosing which theaters go into each book.
1: You know, it's always a goal to make sure each book has a, you know, diversity of theaters in terms of like the size of the theater, in terms of like who owns it and like what the reputation of the theater is. Um, You know, it wouldn't make sense to include like the seven biggest hit houses for musicals in one book. It's like, it's more interesting to be like, okay, here's in this volume, we have like the Imperial, which is known as like, you know, in the 1960s, nothing ran for less than 300 performances kind of theater. Um, And then you Mm -hmm. have Studio 54, which survived for 71 years without a hit. And you have like the Golden, which like is really an intimate house. And you have the Minscow which is like the most mammoth house so to have like kind of a variety and so um people really i think even fans of broadway like people that come see a couple shows a year um don't quite know maybe that like all the theaters are so different like they're really excited to be in a broadway theater but they might not realize just how like differing the history is so kind of making sure that's part of the story of the book
0: oh yeah and how did you get involved at 54 below
1: you know what's so crazy about that is like it's true that every full time job I've ever had is because I collaborated with Joe Iconis. Because my first full time <laughs> job with Ken Davenport happened because Ken saw that I was like doing creative marketing on a Joe Iconis project and was like, I want to hire you to do that, even though like I'd applied for jobs in his office and never gotten them. Um, and then the fifty four below thing was the same way. It was Joe and I had been doing the Joe Iconis Christmas show at Ars Nova for four years. Um, actually, to be totally accurate, um, the first year I was just a fan and went to see it, and then for three years I produced. I've it. Um, Important note. Um, but then the fifth oh, yeah. year, uh we couldn't get our Nova because they were booked with a main stage production, which was great for them. And 54 below had just opened and we were like, hey, like let's do the show there. That'll be great. And then uh it was great. And a few months later, they were looking for a programming director. The original programming director, Phil Bond, who's amazing, was like, I want to focus more on just producing shows. Um, and he knew me because he used to run the Beachman where I did my first Runs a Minute concerts, and the owners knew me because of the Joe Iconis and like the Christmas of it all. And we did some Joe Iconis and family shows at 54 when it first opened as well um so we just started talking and they hired me it's really like the best lesson of like do the stuff you care about with your friends and like if you you know pursue it that way it can turn into jobs
0: Mm. oh my god I'm getting like map of New York if then vibes
1: (laughs) I just am getting. I would never get an actual tattoo but sometimes I'm just like the center street courts I interned there on my arm like I just feel it
0: (laughs) oh I love if then so much oh my god It really, it was ahead of its time.
1: I love this so much. I'm judging Florida thespians virtually right now, which is so magical. And truly, I've been crying at like how inspiring the students are at like doing stuff. And I was judging like a number. And all of a sudden I see in the back of like the classroom, they have all these if then posters. And I was just like, oh my God, even that's moving to me.
0: Oh my God. I love that so much. You know, I'll never forget when I first interned for you at 54 on my first day, I walked in and there were if then mouse pads throughout the entire office. I remember thinking I'm, I'm home. I'm truly home.
1: What a great show. Everybody listening, go listen to If then and go listen to Paul Monty. Those are two of the takeaways mm-hmm. from today. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. So you mentioned Joe Iconis and it's been like sort of this crazy journey. Obviously it's been like more than a decade now, but um, I want to say, and I don't think we've really talked about it much on the podcast, but Connor and I are obsessed with Broadway Bounty Hunter.
1: I love that. Oh my God. That makes me mm-hmm. so happy. Oh
0: my God. We had so much fun with Annie Golden and just that, I mean, we saw, I mean, it was Brad Oscar, like what a great, show in general
1: we're so proud of i'm so happy that we were able to make an album people are like kind of discovering the show through the album we were so proud of the show um yeah the album's full of bangers and like just the writers and like you know my close pal and collaborator charlie rosen with the orchestrations and all the actors and musicians like i'm so proud of that show and that album i'm so glad you're enjoying it that makes me so. oh happy. my god I,
0: love, I think what i love most about it is that you don't see original musicals with roles for women of a certain age. Totally. I mean, and I, it's just, it's mostly revivals, you know, if you want to see Patty or Christine now, Mm -hmm. other than Warpaint, you, you've got to see them in a revival of something typically. And I think it's just so special. It's, there's these wonderful unused talents out there that just, there aren't, original new scores for them to sing my oh my god my favorite moment is at the end of the show when when annie like all of a sudden she's in like a fight and then like clearly her stunt double comes in (laughs) and she was fighting i i love stuff like that it made me laugh so much it was just so campy and like just thrilling oh my god it was so fun
1: Thank you. That makes me so happy to hear you say. And, like, our director choreographer, Jen Werner, is the best. Also, an interview in the books. But you made me think of this where, like, you know, I've been thinking, how did I write Volume 4 differently? Because Volume 3 came out five Mm -hmm. years ago, having had all these experiences as a a producer. And one of the things is, honestly, that, like, having done this show and really experienced firsthand what you said, which is that, like, there aren't roles like that for women of a certain age. I, have like, became inspired to kind of share more um, historic theater reviews that kind of show sexism or racism or ageism and all these things of, like, how were, like, things seen in the public eye in a certain way, and just to, like, again, shine light on them, um, and how did we get here, that part of it. Also, I have to say, Annie Golden has one of the greatest stories ever in this book. Like, it, she tells her whole hair journey, um, and she actually references Joe in it. I mean, the Annie Golden in this book is, like, amazing to me.
0: Oh my goodness. I I know. I wish that I would have been able to get through the rest of it, but I think I mentioned this. I just want to savor it, you know, and, and, and hold on to it. I, I also need to reread the first two volumes because having like lived in New York versus reading it from afar, like now I can picture myself in certain theaters I wasn't familiar with before and whatnot. Um, it is so good. I loved everything about the Al Hirschfeld or as some of us call it the Martin Beck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favorite theater that in the, in the Neil Simon,
1: like super special theaters. I can't wait to just like touch all the walls. It means so much to me that you guys have enjoyed the books the way that you have. So thank you. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: I know. I feel like we're gushing too much, but um, so Love and Hate Nation happened right shortly before the pandemic, Lovato. Are there any other Joe Iconis projects coming that you can tease or anything going on? Yeah,
1: you know, we're definitely, like, when the pandemic started, we were obviously looking into next steps for Love and Hate Nation. Like, it's still the goal to have that next production to make a cast album. I'm so excited for it to, like, truly be unleashed on the world. One of the things that's been, like, so heartening for me and for Joe during the pandemic and other members of our team is, like, seeing fans that are excited about it on Twitter and on Instagram who, like, they don't have anything to be excited about. Like, they don't have an album. They don't have You know, there's nothing out yet. And to see that like love already coming at the show has been really cool. Um, But Joe has been working for like a decade on this Hunter S. Thompson musical that is with La Jolla Playhouse that like, someday we will be seeing that and it's like some of the best stuff he's ever written it blows my mind so i'm really excited for that as well um and honestly like truly nothing specific but i'm just excited for like the seeds that artists are planting right now that like you know five years from now joe will be like you know i had that idea during quarantine and like he hasn't written anything for it yet like i'm not even referencing anything specifically but i think with him and other artists there'll be things that like you started thinking about during this time that are you know really exciting
0: Oh my God, speaking of Joe, we need to talk about something that was one of, it still is one of my greatest obsessions, which is something that I feel as if has had new life in its afterlife, which is that of Smash. (laughs) I'm actually wearing a Marilyn shirt today, in honor. I was like, I needed to feel her, very season one of Smash, they're always like, what would Marilyn have done? Like, we need to think about Marilyn. Now, iconic as hell, I am still obsessed with Smash. and Like I said, I think it's interesting how it's had this, this second life of adoration now that it's been off the air for like, oh my god, almost, almost ten years, eight, eight years or so, it's crazy. Wait, when did it? Um, yeah, seven. It or eight, wrapped yeah. in thirteen.
1: I, I love that. I love that people are discovering it for the first time or are like rewatching it. I did have a hilarious moment last night during the Rent 25 celebration, which was incredible, um, where I had to remind the people that were in my room that Jesse L. Martin like kind of played the artistic director of New York Theatre Workshop on Smash, um, which is just like, sometimes we remember things like that. I'm like, was this show real? Because it just seems like my fever dream of like dreams to watch of a show.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You do often say that Smash was a documentary.
1: Yes. Which, I, like Teresa Rebeck, I forget, honestly, my brain right now, but I forget if it's in this book or another book of Untold Stories Broadway, but she says something amazing. Oh no, it's in this book. It's in this book um, where she says like a story about her experience on Broadway. And she was like, if I had written that into smash, they wouldn't have believed me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Plus, there you plus. Plus.
1: Oh, that's oh unreal.
0: Oh and of my course God. You have helped kind of cultivate smash in many ways by bringing the Hitlist concert to 54 below, which was that of legend. It was, was it like two nights only or something like that?
1: It was, yeah, two or three, like it was, that was such a dream. It was like right at the beginning of my time at 54 Below and Josh Saffron, who was the showrunner for season two, who's like one of my heroes, just the fact that like I didn't know him and he said yes to us doing that together. And then we were able to bring together like all of these Smash cast members, Jeremy Jordan, Chris Rodriguez, Andy Mientis and so many other people. And like the writers, like I saw a picture the other night of like all the writers who wrote songs for Smash, including Joe and like Benj and Justin. Um, And I was just like, oh my God, this happened. Like sometimes during the pandemic, you know, you have those moments of being like, this magical thing actually happened in real life. Like, let's go back to that.
0: (laughs) I know literally. Oh my God. Hit list. Full of, full of bops. I mean, it is just great. Literally. Why wasn't Catherine McPhee in the, was she just like filming something else that she couldn't do the concert?
1: You know, I have to say, she's the only one I didn't, you know, I knew Jeremy and Andy and Krista all before that, although certainly, like, I know them, I'm better friends with them now, but um, I don't know Catherine, so I just know that she wasn't available, there wasn't any specific, like, thing, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's also crazy. Smash was a documentary, you guys. <laughs>
0: <True>. <laughs> you always say that. I love that, Jen. Oh my God. Seriously. Now, Jen, we, we touched on this in the opening and, and I could tell that you had thoughts, but you have become a, a Taylor Swift aficionado in the last year. And I'm curious to know like what your thoughts are on her career and her albums. And if you have an album that resonates with you.
1: Oh my gosh, I loved your whole intro and everything you said about her. You know, the albums coming back out, all of that. Um, My Taylor Swift journey was so crazy because I don't know a lot of normal music. Like, I'm super musical theater nerd, as you both know. (laughs) And so I like will learn pockets of normal music and be like, oh my god, I love this. Like, I don't not like it. I just don't know a lot of it. And a number of years ago, Zach Zeta, who's another one of my close friends and collaborators, was like, you're gonna love this song 22 by Taylor Swift. It's gonna be like your favorite thing. So for years, I was like, I love that song 22 by Taylor Swift. That must be her biggest hit and only hit. Like, I don't know anything else. Else, which is funny to me now. And then uh, uh-huh. like maybe a year, it was honestly around the time Lover came out where I was like, oh my God, I love this album, which was also thank you to Max Friedman. All of my like musical theater best friends kind of teach me normal music at the same time. Um, and became <laughs> like, oh my God, I love her lyrics. I love everything about the way she creates songs. I love all the like ways that songs and albums connect to each other. I like respond so much to like her voice and like what she does with her work. Like there's so much that I love about Taylor Swift. Um, but it's been like really a lot of help for me during the pandemic, like I I'm sure you guys. It sounds like have found this as well. Like I have listened to folklore so many times, and it's been like special and helpful for my heart. Honestly, like I felt like I should thank Taylor Swift in my book, special thanks, because like she was so helpful to my journey. Um, yeah, I I just I don't even know if I have a favorite album. I made like a top fifty at one point of top fifty songs. Um, I love you. Too.
0: Oh, that's and that's hard to do. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh my God. Wait, you mentioned Zach Zadek. We can get back to Taylor if we get there. But I remember at Broadway Bounty Hunter, he was, I think he was seeing it with you. And I had to talk to him after, I I like rarely do this anymore, you know, in my professional career where I like stop someone, but I was like, he's going to love this. I like, I saw a show Fifty Four Below where it was his original songs being performed, and I I stopped and I was like, Oh my god! I need to tell you, I am obsessed with this song, Right Place, Right Time from the this Love Rosie musical you're doing. <laughs> I literally listen to it once a week. Obsessed. Everyone actually needs to go on YouTube and find it. It's got Talia Saskauer. Sus- Sus- and I I don't remember the guy's Joseph name. Allen. Is in it. Yeah. Joseph Allen. Yeah. Joseph Allen. Oh my god. I was, like, shaking when I saw that song performed live, Jen.
1: Um, Connor, you don't even know how much I love that story because that concert, I I have to, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, But um, I love Zach. I've known him since he was a teenager. He's one of, like, the most brilliant writers. He's one of my closest friends. And that concert was, like, super, super special to us. And that song, like, blows my mind. And when I heard that song for the first time, when we were, like, you know, long before we put together that concert and that incredible performance they gave of it, um, I, the Lyric, it's not a love story until you know how it ends. I was like, Zach, like, that's so amazing how you musicalized that from the movie, just assuming it was from the movie that that is based on. And he was like, Oh no, like, I wrote that. And I was like, You wrote those words. <laughs> like, I'm so happy you, like, fanboyed and yeah. had that moment. I-, I love it so much. Yeah. Oh
0: my God. I told him, I was like, I loved it. And he was like, I think touched that I, you know, acknowledged yeah. the song. Yeah. I think he liked it. But in yeah, fact, that was if so you good. watch that video on YouTube, you'll hear some whoops and hollers <laughs> and it's definitely coming from Conan.
1: Oh my God. That's amazing. I truly, I played that song for my good friend Alexis during quarantine and was like, I just miss this. I love this song. So that song lives on in all of us. I love that.
0: Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I miss those moments in real life. You know, we went and uh, we had to watch the movie of course, and quarantine. Love Rosie.
1: We should say, um, Yeah.
0: Oh yes, Love Rosie, yes. And Jen, you you pulled the Taylor Swift pre-Reputation era in early summer and you disappeared from social media for a little (laughs) while over the summer. Were you writing during that time? Were you like consuming art and content? Like give us, give us these scoops.
1: Yeah, you know, I think like, as mentioned, like I can be like, I'm in a happy mood today, but like it has not been easy this past year for any of us. And like, I was deeply on the struggle bus and I was like upset about a few things, not just like, you know, the pandemic and our country, but Mm -hmm. like just like going through it. And I just was like, I need a break and it wasn't social media specifically. I just kind of was like, let me walk through Central Park and listen to folklore and like cry my feelings out and then like recover myself, you know? And I think that's like important to be open about like when we're not doing okay during quarantine too. And I definitely, I had that for sure.
0: Oh yeah. And, and Taylor was there to, to heal you. You mentioned that perhaps she should have been thanked. You know, it's funny like reading it now, knowing that you're, you're a fan, I can feel little droplets of like maybe a word that Taylor might use, or, you know, I'm even reading into the story about Kay Swift, a woman with the last name of Swift. And they're like, could there be a connection? You never know.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. I hope they're related in some way because God knows there's that Kay Swift, George Gershwin story in my book is like one of my faves.
0: Oh, I ship them. (laughs) Me too. Oh, and it's so, I don't want to give a spoiler away for anybody, but it is like, there needs to be a movie or something about them. Now you, you're obviously a historian and you've cultivated all these stories about these theaters. Have you ever been inspired to do like another type of book or piece?
1: That's a great question because I think like when I was trying to be the most positive during like the start of quarantine, I was like, you know what? Um, what have I always wanted to work on or write that I might not have had time to before? And like, I know a lot of people have tried to think about that. And I have started writing like a couple of other things that are all in various stages of like, oh my yeah. God, I'm glad I took a shot at writing this. It's really bad. Or like, oh, I've written half of this and I think it could be something. Um, Yeah. Like I've always wanted to write, um, oh my God, I haven't talked about this to anyone yet, but I'm like, I want to talk about it to you guys. So I like, always have been like, oh, am I one of those like funny women that could write a book of comedic essays that like don't not have to do with theater, but also like just aren't about theater or about all kinds of things. And so I've taken a crack at that and I'm kind of like m- working my way through it and think some of it is good and some of it needs work. Um, And I had like a, oh my God, have I, could I ever write like a book about theater history, but that was like, you know, historic fiction about a specific thing. So I've tried that. That's less good. But I, I have definitely been like, let me motivate myself to see because we do have more, Mm-hmm. time. Um, about which I'll also say, I think we had more time a year ago. Now I'm starting to be like, oh my God, things are happening again. But I'm glad I took right? a shot it at writing some other things.
0: Oh my God, Jen. That's so funny. You say that Dylan and I were so stressed, like maybe three weeks ago when we were like, oh my God, we, we were going to use this year to like watch all the movies and TV shows we had never seen and have not even gotten through half the list. It has been Unreal. Okay, wait. So there's something else I want to ask you about that is so exciting, which is Tick, Tick, Boom, the film version. Yes, you're rocking the tea. Love it. (laughs) Um, How did you get involved with this uh, Netflix film version of this much-loved musical that has not been on screen before?
1: You know, it's... Funny that until you just asked me that within this conversation, I didn't connect this, but in a sort of similar way to like the journeys to working at for Ken and then for 50 More Below, it was like because I was working on the Jonathan Larson project and because I was like diving into all of that myself, Lynn Manuel Miranda, who like I had known already through, you know title of show and in the Heights happening at the same producing office was like, I want to hire you to work on this movie because I already know that you're like pursuing this thing yourself. So I never thought of that as connecting that way, but it's crazy that it is. Um, And he, you know, I, I truly, like, I cannot say enough how amazing this movie is going to be. I am so excited for people to see it. I am so excited for more information about it to get announced. Like I just live in like the anticipation of the joy of it. Um, when the vaccine rollout started feeling better and I started feeling more hopeful about timelines and we're all, I'm just like imagining the thing I never let myself imagine, which was like being at the Tick, Tick, Boom premiere. Um, oh. I I, <laughs> I am so excited for people to like know more of Jonathan's story and specifically to see how everybody that worked on this movie made it into a movie. It's really going to be great.
0: I can't wait. Oh my God, I love it. And of course, Andrew Garfield is starring in this and he is remarkable. His His performance in Angels is one of my favorite On stage performances I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, And of course, someone who is very near and dear to Connor and I's heart, Vanessa Hudgens, is also in this movie. So we're even more excited. I
1: love them. I love them both. They're both like lovely, wonderful people and just like fun. And um, yeah, I just think like, they're both amazing in the movie. And like, I had a great time talking to them about Jonathan, about like all the stuff behind the movie too.
0: So you were like on set. Was that kind of your role to... Can you actually explain what your, your role on set was? Because I, I was, like, just about to make it up. But I'm like, wait, yeah. she's here. I can ask.
1: Well, historian <laughs> consultant is not, like, a usual title. Like, you know, it's not, like, a typical thing. Um, You know, Tick, Tick, Boom is based on... Um, Jonathan wrote the show. And then after he died, it was turned into a three-person musical. And now it's a movie, which obviously is, like, a different version. And it's all based on real events. So there's a lot of, um, who was that person? What was that show? Hey, what happened at that rehearsal in real life? Oh, my God, is this based on that? Um, there's a lot of, like like... historic pieces that like I was kind of there to um, be part of those conversations Um, and being, you know, having the experience I did of like working with Jonathan's legacy on the Jonathan Larson project and other things like my books, which, you know, about rent and the Niederlander, I was able to, you know, talk to Andrew Garfield and be like, Hey, this is this demo that like, it's not in tick tick boom, but this is how it might've informed this moment, you know, decide for yourself. Like it was a lot of conversations about Jonathan and his events of his life
0: interesting oh my gosh wait is Vanessa singing come to your senses are you allowed to answer this question (laughs) I
1: can't say anything actually about the movie like I'm not technically you know whatever but um I just can't say enough how amazing she is in it. I love. Uh, her.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. That makes that's me so awesome. more. That makes me more excited to, for when information is finally released about it. Oh my
1: there, god. Yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, look, it's very little comparatively has been announced already. So I'm excited for more yeah. to be announced.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was like it started filming right when everything was sort of shutting down last year, right? Well, that was like the story of that.
1: My first day on set was the day of the shutdown. I got to my first day on the Tick-Tick Boom set, and I said, oh, my God, I'm seeing the first you of Flying Over Sunset tonight. And I did not because it shut down. But, um, you know, oh, now oh it's, it's part of the story. It <laughs> is.
0: <laughs> Wait, so you saying that, I think it was either Kate Baldwin or Emily Skinner, who I overheard her one time say to you, you're a first preview kind of girl, Jen Tupper.
1: <laughs> I love that you remembered it was Kate Baldwin or Emily Skinner. It was Kate Baldwin. Okay, okay. It was literally in her dressing room at 54 Below before her show. Uh-huh. And it was such a funny thing to say. And it reminded me of like, I do, I love a first preview. I love everything about it. Um, but I saw two first previews where people were like, jokingly, but also a little bit serious, how dare you be here? One was um, Pacific Overtures at CSC, where they were like, how dare you? Um, Even though it was great. Mm -hmm. Everything about it was great. And I was kind of like, oh, like, this is a different thing once you're a professional rather than like an NYU fangirl of like, maybe you should give Uh the actors a minute. And Michael Arden did the same thing to me at the Spring Awakening revival. of Like, how dare you? Um, Kind of, you know, joking, but also like maybe wait a couple previews for those peeps.
0: It's so interesting because, you know, it's not like you are someone who's going to immediately go to the boards or social media and trash talk anything. In fact, I've never seen you publicly trash anything. Um, and, And I think that's something that's so inspiring to people, like especially me, because there is that jaded mentality for people who have been in New York for a long time. And you remind me that it's it's you should never forget to be in love with Broadway and and theater and the community. And if anything of this last year has taught me, it's like. Wow, like the nights that I was like, oh, I'm too tired to go to this show that someone might've offered me comps for. I can never say no again <laughs> to things like that because we have to just savor every moment.
1: I've been thinking that. I'm like the first three months, six months of like the roaring 20s beginning is just gonna be yes to everything, out every night, what the heck's happening? Like, it's gonna be a blast. And then maybe we'll, you know, need some nights where you can catch up on your movie list. Mm-hmm, exactly.
0: Oh, Jen, that reminds me. I, I'm wondering, Broadway's back, what is the first show You're going to be... Seeing, What do you think?
1: You know, I've been thinking that like, I think that my prediction is like, you know, the shows are going to come back gradually. It's not going to obviously be like everything at the same time. But that said, like, I've been thinking that if there was a night where like everything came back, I would want to see the company revival because I didn't get to see it before it shut down. Um, and I just like, I love so many people in it. I love company. Um, I was thinking watching virtual Florida thespians that like, when we were like 14, 15, I saw Etai Benson, who like is in that company revival, do a song from assassins at high school thespians. And I was just like, I think that. That's where I want to be. What about you guys? I want to know what show you would be at.
0: That's so funny you asked. That was the last thing we saw when before oh Bobby shut down. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like a year ago now. It's a gag, Jen. You're gonna you're gonna love it. Oh my god, Patty LaPone. Come on. Um, And Matt Doyle is definitely gonna get a Tony nomination. But anyway,
1: love
0: it. I'm definitely gonna be at Wicked. It's got to be Wicked. That's my that is when Glinda comes down from that bubble. And we talk about this on an upcoming episode with a guest that hasn't been announced yet hint hint it's a it's a historic glinda but anyway when glinda comes down from that bubble and says it's good to see me isn't (laughs) it i am going to either sob or like jump out of my seat Clapping. It's going to be a a moment. Maybe both.
1: (laughs) Do you know what, like the craziest thing, one of them about like the beginning of 2020, like before the world ended, is I saw Wicked twice last year. It was the most random thing of all time because Talia Sescara was Alphaba on tour right before like COVID all hit the fan. I like went to see her in Baltimore at B Alphaba. And I took my favorite five year old girl, Mara Williams, my like best friend, Jason Williams' daughter, to see Wicked on Broadway. So I was very lucky in that in the year 2020, where we didn't see a lot of theater, I saw Wicked twice. Yes.
0: <laughs> I love, love, love that. Um, I will see Moulin Rouge because of to Fate, as we all know. We can move on. Um, wait, Jen, <laughs> the the um the Glinda and Alphaba, who when you took Mara, who was on that night?
1: I was so excited by Mara that like it wasn't I was like watching her the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Jake Virgo, which was exciting because he
0: was <sighs> in being- Oh, he's a doll. Did you ever see Kristen and Adina?
1: Um, I did. Crazily enough, my third and final trip to New York before I moved here, I got to come with my high school friends. We were like, we all went to junior prom, so let's take our senior prom money and go to New York. It was a magical adventure. Um, (laughs) You guys, the five shows that I saw were OG Wicked, OG Avenue Q, Carolina Change, Assassins 2004 Revival, which all the stories in my book, this book are incredible, and Bear, Mm -hmm. the original Michael Arden off-Broadway Bear. So like, that was the greatest trip ever. And I just remember like crying with my friends at the Wicked stage door in the pouring rain. (laughs)
0: oh my god oh my god i'm so gagged you literally remember that documentary that was about that tony season with wicked avenue q carolina Change, you and taboo and taboo was included as well wait okay so you saw kristen and adina do you think that adina deserved the tony over kristen
1: (laughs) the age-old question you know (laughs) i it's one of those years where like i loved all those actresses like they all deserved it um i love both kristen and adina like i truly like i'm 50-50, 50-50, I love
0: them both. Yeah. I almost wish they would have put Glinda in for featured. I, I almost wish they would have done some category, you know, switching yeah, around broad. there. Because she technically sings less, I think, than Alphaba. I don't know if she has less stage time though. Totally. Yeah. Jen, you've mentioned, I remember right before the 2016 Tonys that you were predicting a historic tie might happen that year, if there was ever a tie. I wonder if why we didn't see one in Hamilton year, let alone for Kristen and Adina.
1: You know, it's because like, it's actually, when you look at the minutia of like the Tony rules, um, it is all done individually. So it's not necessarily like people are sitting around and are like, oh, these two things should tie. It's like, if this is within this many votes of this, at this point, like it's it's really based on numbers, which is, you know, fair in a lot of ways, but it's definitely interesting to dig into those Tony rules. If anyone feels like going into the fine print on their website.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that Aaron won't get the
1: Tony? (laughs) Um, No, I don't think there's any chance of that. God bless him. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) Good. Um, Oh my God. I'm sure
1: you guys have this too, but like sometimes during quarantine, like checking in with family members and sometimes I'll just text my dad and be like, how's today going? And he'll just be like, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm so alive. So (laughs) I think about Aaron all the time. And I talk to my dad. (laughs) I
0: love that. Oh my god! I well, one of my my favorite memories of working with you at fifty four was he was standing in the doorway, like by the elevator, and you just came up and whispered to me, and you're like, "Aaron Tveit is by the elevators." <laughs> my whole body went into a state of shock. I won't tell anything else that happened after that, but like I said, my fairy godmother throughout all of New York, truly.
1: I love <laughs> it. Oh my god!
0: Okay, so we're coming up to the end of our regular episode, and listeners, fun fact: we're going to keep Jen for a little bonus episode. On our Patreon, we're going to ask some rapid-fire theater questions, most of which were listener-submitted. So This is going to be so fun. We've never done this before. But before we wrap, we like to end on a dose of drama. And I'm going to share my drama today. So the Golden Globes happened this past weekend, and I'm such an awards gay. I literally eat it all up, even though awards, like... Can help, but don't really matter. It's just fun. It's just fun. But they can really help a career or hurt a career. So is it fun? Anyway, my drama is that one of my favorite movies from that last year, Promising Young Woman, didn't win anything at the Golden Globes. And I thought at least Carrie Mulligan would win. And she didn't. She there was actually a shock win by Andrew Day, who's in the Billy Holiday film. And I'm really sad because Carrie Mulligan has had such a wonderful career, and we very rarely see her play a present day character. And I really think that they, it was, a missed, it was a missed chance because she nailed the assignment. The movie's great. She gives a terrific performance and I'm worried about her Oscars chances now. I, I think she still has a good chance at the Oscar. You do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Dylan, what's your we'll dose see. of drama? Oh my gosh. I would say my drama is that when I helped Jen edit one chapter of her book, I was thinking to myself, what is it going to be? What what chapter could it be? And then when I received the email, I thought, well, of course, it's the Studio 54 chapter. And I just, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I wish that I would have seen everything that came through that theater. Like when I was working next door, like I wish I would have just popped over one night and said, do you have any anything left or anything like standing room for any of these shows? Because so many great things played over the, three, four years that we were working there and, or that I was working there. And I, I also watched the movie 54 over in the last year with Ryan Phillippe. And it, it it was so fun. And I was like, I can't believe like we worked here. Like, (laughs) and I wonder, you know, how much of 54 below is part of what Studio 54 was. There's like the rumor that it was the VIP room or I don't really know. Do you know any more about that, Jen? Like what what the space is or was? Yeah,
1: you know, no one's hundred percent positive. Which I kind of love the mystery of it all. But yeah, um, yeah. there is a like place where the two buildings were connected. That's now kind of um, concrete that could solve the mystery. It might have been the VIP room.
0: Interesting. Okay, I love that. I absolutely love that. Do you have any drama done?
1: You guys might have noticed I kind of put a pin in this with my eyes earlier but so uh, today at 11 a.m. my very close friend Zach Zadek had a real song drop on like popular music on the freaking radio and I have to say like it's tied into the concert that we were talking about because the crazy story is that um, you know he in addition to being like incredible musical theater writer has been like working on pop songs as well um, and has not had one come out in this way but at the exact same time as we were doing that concert with that song that Talia and just balancing that we were talking about, um, Zach, when we were in rehearsals, got asked by his publishing company, like, Hey, come collaborate with this artist. And it was like super last minute. And he like went to write this song. Like it was literally right before a rehearsal that we had with Jen Demiano for that concert. He was like, Oh, I have to go run and work on this, like song i was supposed to write with this like young artist who, you know, is unknown, but I'm super excited. Um, that was 2019. And over the course of time since 2019, that artist has blown up. Her name is Tate McRae. She's like got millions of followers. She's like blown up and mm-hmm. like really exciting emerging artist. Um and today like they had that song come out, which like they wrote in 2019, um, which is just like you never know how stuff is gonna happen. Like they wrote that song before she was like known and like Again, it's been two years. Um, The song's amazing. It's called Slower. You can like listen to it. But so all day before I talk to you guys, I was just like texting with Zach and like watching all the like Spotify and YouTube and TikTok and being like, oh, my God, you have a real song like out in this way. It's really cool. Oh, that is amazing.
0: Oh, my God. He is so talented. And I knew that he his moment would come. And I think that there's so much ahead for him. He is so legit. Oh my god, this is literally a Zach Zadek podcast, but there were so <laughs> much, there, there I re- I remember specifically so many of the songs from that concert and we got to see a lot of fun stuff there and I don't remember always what I saw, but that night was so memorable to me. I remember the we were sitting with Natalie Walker.
1: Yeah, oh my god, I kind we of were. I remember that. Yeah, I just want people to see Love, Rosie. Like he, Zach is incredible at like both writing the pop music stuff and musical theater, but like Love, Rosie, every time he has sent me a song from Love, Rosie, I'm just like a mess over it.
0: <laughs> Can you tell him I need him to finish it? Like
1: in the next 10 years
0: at least, cause I'm dying to see it. Yes. He's got a and fan. And of course Love, Rosie stars, you know, Miss Emily in Paris, right?
1: Oh my God, of course. Yeah. Oh my
0: God, a familiar a very, face. very different performance. I prefer yeah. her in Love, Rosie for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I wonder if they're going to start filming season two Soon,
1: probably. That's the thing is, like, they've really figured out how to safely film stuff, which is great. You know, Tick, Tick Boom was filmed very, very safely.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's That's right. That makes me so happy. Oh my I want to ask you so many questions about Tick, Tick, Boom, but I think we'll have to have you back on when that time comes for like. The
1: I the truly scenes. I can't wait for the movie to actually be out, and then I'll have so many more stories I can tell about it.
0: <laughs> Good. Yes. Good. Well, everyone needs to follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jen AshTep and check out her newest book available as of yesterday, um, The Untold Stories of Broadway Volume Four.
1: Yes, yes. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on dresscirclepublishing.com. There's a Kindle version. Um, I'm just so excited for people to read it.
0: Oh my God. Well, Jen, we love you so much we are so thankful for everything you've done for us over the years and now you're part of the drama family i
1: love it i love you both and i'm such a big fan of both of you
0: thank you jen oh that gosh, means the world you. um so yeah and everyone if you're not following us follow us at the drama podcast check out our patreon where you are here. this little bonus little thing we're gonna do yes and of course follow me at dylan mcdowell and connor at connor mcdowell connor's got all the memes all the videos very fun <laughs> and um jen thank you again and connor We'll see you next time. Drama!